Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, March 6th, 2023. As always, we're grateful for everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That that tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon and Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those and want to share them with us, please give us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone, and it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
And we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service. So how can we be a service to you? What would be of use to you for spending the next hour, which is the first half of today's show? I believe I've gotten the notification that Michael and Jeannie will be here for the second hour. So there will be some update about the passing of Michael's former wife, who was the mother to his offspring, who are now fully adult and living uh, with their own children. So there'll be that coming up as a second hour, but in the first hour we have plenty of time to discuss, answer questions, take comments, go back and uh, pick up where we left off on Friday if that's interesting to people. The idea Friday was we were reading some of the essays from the book A Walk in the Physical where the gentleman named Christian Sundberg um, is talking about how he's been getting well he wrote these essays as um, channeled material that um, came to him after he had done his meditation and recalled his pre-life experience. So he's been uh, building, strengthening, um, working with his spiritual life in a very focused way since he was 30, at least 10 years now. He's in his early 40s now. And, um, and he's written the book, A Walk in the Physical. And the thing that prompted us to get started reading some of that on Friday was the tendency that so many of us have to try to figure things out. Michael Rice calls it the number one pseudo-solution, the number one pitfall for the egoic mind. I'm going to figure it out. And so what we were reading on Friday was a series of um, it's just that this particular uh, book has been on my listening list recently and the the, the dilemma of trying to figure it out was being posed by um, Susan Bingham, and so that prompted me to share um, a variety of these essays, or at least most of the essays that he had under the title, The Intellect is Not the Answer. So our call at number is 563-999-3581. And we can have a conversation if you call that number and press 1. I don't actually remember where we left off in reading 
from those essays, but the subtitle for this category of the essays is Intellect is Not the Answer. And I think I started reading the the essay that talks about how creation is vast. Creation is very, very vast. It's so incredibly huge and unbelievably complex and so amazingly diverse that it's not possible for anyone to even remotely imagine its scope while using the human mind. Our reality alone has over a trillion, a hundred billion galaxies and some now say that twice that number. And each of those galaxies possesses an average of 100 billion stars. So that's more than one with 20, some 21 or 22 zeros after it. The universe is so big that it takes light, the speed of light, 186,000 uh, miles per second squared so faster than we can imagine and it takes light over 13 billion years to cross it while in that time it expands even further and yet all of this scope is our universe only right so this Many, many scientists and many, many philosophers are saying our entire physical reality is in fact just one of a great many physical realities within that unimaginably vast context. How can any of us humans on earth expect or believe that we can truly grasp the nature of reality? Now that's expansive beyond words. But Michael Reif likes to quote the Harvard research that says in a period of time, one twenty-fifth of a second, that 10,000 units of electrical activity can be measured in the frontal lobes of the brain. Our mind is only able to process nine single individual bits. In that same period of time, tremendously large amount of data is hitting our senses. One way to talk about it is 20 trillion bits of data are hitting our senses. So 20 trillion bits of data are, are making up the actual world around us or what is impacting our senses. We're able to process with our brain 10,000 of those and consciously be aware of nine. So this essay goes on and says, it's it's absolutely ridiculous how we we want to conclude that we have more or less figured things out. Most humans believe they generally have a pretty accurate view of the world at any given time. We commonly claim knowledge where there's actually ignorance. Our basic assumptions about reality fade into the background, invisible to us, even though they color everything we're doing and experiencing in our lives. One of those assumptions is that physical matter is what is most real. 
many people pondering this among us assume that materialism must be sound and valid because we've been able to achieve certain physical accomplishments with our materialistic science. Many people believe that our physical universe is all there is, and yet a true investigation yields a much, much vaster, big-picture reality than the cold, basic experience of matter. In fact, the experience of other reality systems can be more rich, more wonderful, more vibrant, and more absolutely astounding than any physical experience available to to us. How can this be when we remember nothing but the physical world in which we were raised? How can such an investigation be pursued? Well, in order to have our physical experience, you had to accept a sort of amnesia. Now, this is what his pre-life experience has, has told him, that he had an experience as consciousness without a physical body, and he wanted to expand his experience, so he decided to have a physical experience. But in order to have that make any sense, he had to basically accept forgetting his pre-life so that he could completely focus on being a differentiated human being. the, The essay goes on to say, the entire you is so great, so vast, so connected to everything else that functioning as a seemingly separate human would be quite impossible if it weren't for the amnesia. If you didn't forget your true self, you wouldn't be able to function in this world because you would be focused on things that are more vast and more expansive beyond words than just the physical realm. And even though we accept the amnesia, this essay points out, we are still that vast, expansive consciousness. And so it says, you cannot be anything other than what you truly are. And thus, if you truly wish to investigate reality, you need to be willing to fully look into what you are beyond just the human mind. You can choose to spend time with and focus on awareness itself. Because that does always, awareness itself always transcends the physical experience. Consciousness is the common denominator of every experience. So if you want to truly explore creation, start by looking there. For indeed, within the realms of creation, there are realities far more immense and far more real than this illusory physical universe that we are so focused on. And your spirit is fundamentally connected to all of it. The next essay reads, Beingness is not in the intellect. As we consider spiritual ideas, we're in the intellect. Yet, what we are, beingness, is not an intellectual activity. Though the intellect occurs within beingness, 
And again, these are just names to try and point at something, words, to point at something that goes way beyond words, each new heartbeat. So here they're using the word beingness. And then it says, the name of the game is love, capital L, love. And love, capital L, love, is also not an intellectual activity. So these next words say, love is a state of intention genuinely pointed toward the benefit of another over oneself. Love is a state of intention genuinely pointed towards inclusion, acceptance, freedom of being, and unity. Surrender is not primarily an intellectual activity either. It is also an intent. Love and surrender can occur through an intellectual context, but they are not of the intellect. The intellect and all of its knowledge and understanding of one's current experience is but a tool and a context. The quality of the intent of the individual who is using that tool and operating within that context is the primary force that we are here to develop. So the quality of intent is the primary force we are here to develop. The intellect and all of its knowledge and understanding of one's current experience is but a tool. And operating within that context is the primary force that we're here to develop. Intent. Our primary reason for being here is the growth of, quote, what we are, quotes, and growing that toward love, capital L, love. What survives bodily death, then, is our true self, our beingness, which retains its true nature. That is retained forever. Even as form falls away, the quality of the consciousness which beheld the form and did something with it, that quality of consciousness still remains. To the soul, the development of that quality of consciousness is well worth the price of being physical for a while. It's very, very challenging to understand why would we come and go through this pain, this suffering, this condensation down to very dense material experience if we were in a bliss state and connected to everything and aware of ourselves as connected with everything why would we come down here well the theory that he's putting forth in this work is that the ability to experience express and extend love in more and more challenging circumstances is the reason for that It's like building muscle when you go to the gym and lifting heavier and heavier weights. Learning to stay loving in more and more challenging, upsetting, distressful, angry, hurtful, painful, 
situations is the development of that quality of consciousness that makes it worth the price of coming to the physical. The next essay is titled Addicted to Form, and it reads, Being able to be something, and in parentheses it says, while not, quote, being something else, close quote, being able to be something, to come down to this constricted experience is an exciting and amazing opportunity for the spirit. Quote, all that is, close quotes, can become even more profoundly more when it, through you, can experience actually being this and not that. Creation gains meaning in the process. Right now, as you experience your own identity and circumstances, you're participating in that very valuable process. As we participate in that process, we end up being deeply mired in the duality that we are this and not that. We become so entrenched in the perception of duality and we focus on it so much that we become, quote, lost, close quotes, lost in it. And we forget everything else. We might say that in a sense we are currently, quote, addicted, close quotes, addicted to form. We're often addicted to thinking, we're addicted to defining, we're addicted to quantifying, we're addicted to identifying. It is common to be addicted to these things when one is existing in a dualistic reality such as ours. As such, stark dualism is a remarkably alluring and rich experience. Now, it doesn't seem that way to us, but that's because we're in this mode of the amnesia, the forgetting, the veil. And, and in this moment, we think this is all there is, and we are this tiny, limited physical being having this life and there's nothing else. But for our higher S self, our true self, this is a remarkably alluring and rich experience. However, it is worthwhile to note that while we are here, our larger state of being only always and forever transcends all of the form. We, we are never just the body. Our awareness itself spans incredible distances of time and space. In fact, all of the distances of time and space, as well as of the this or that ideas that exist here on Earth. You may be completely focused on the form, but in fact, you are fundamentally free. Those statements are not just ideas. They attempt to describe your very actual nature of being, even though you have forgotten it. You can let go of form. You are free enough to do that. 
you can let go of your judgments. You're free enough to do that. You can let go of your needs. You can even let go of your thoughts themselves and just allow yourself to be exactly with, quote, what is, close quotes, for just the moment. You do not need to quantify or qualify anything at all. In fact, you may find that when you finally let go, the peace and joy available to you far surpasses any of the wonders available in beholding the stimulating dream that is before you now. Form cannot contain the formless. That's the next essay. You can't fully explain reality by pointing to forms, including words or ideas. You can't explain the whole by pointing to a part. Since the whole is consciousness, the whole can only be identified fully as it is experienced as consciousness. When one is experiencing form, that is, differentiation of any kind, one is not experiencing the whole. Take care then when attempting to explain some things by using other things. Anytime you're doing that, you're not fully explaining big truth, capital B, big truth, capital T, truth, and you're not explaining, quote, all that is. You're, you're focused on a tiny part whenever you're doing explaining, judging, comparison, comparing, and evaluating. The next essay is titled, The Spiritual Message of Empowerment. The spiritual message is one of empowerment. This is because powerlessness is just a non-fundamental experience, while freedom and power are the enduring truths. Spirituality is about moving towards what actually is. This is every time I read that I hear Guy Finley's words in my in my mind saying there is nothing more practical than true spirituality. Nothing more practical than true spirituality. Because as this essay is saying, spirituality is about moving towards what actually is. And since freedom and power are our true inalienable nature, true spirituality naturally moves towards freedom and power. But because we have fear, we resist our experience in a myriad of ways. We use our ideas and our will to set up many boundaries and to block our own experience. We even use ideas about spirituality to do this. We seem to lose the powerful truth as we assign it to the powerless form. Can life itself actually be repressed? Well, life itself can choose to express itself through a great variety of conditions and within a great 
variety of constraints, and those conditions and constraints can change, but life itself is totally free. Spirituality is about that true nature of life, about allowing it and knowing it and becoming it, not just about the nature of the forms or constraints that the life expresses through. Spirit transcends form. Thus, no form can truly convey the breadth and depth and range of spirit. And yet, as life seeks to express itself through its creations, it can strive to reflect its ineffable and inalienable qualities through those creations and form. Those qualities, among many others, are ultimate love, joy, peace, power, and freedom. And thus, the spiritual message is one of ultimate love, joy, peace, power, and freedom. The next essay is The Answers Transcend the Intellect. The local intellect, which deals exclusively with forms, discrete thoughts and ideas, the local intellect cannot understand higher truth. In other words, you cannot find, quote, the big picture, close quotes, answers. You can't find the big picture answers by thinking. But that doesn't mean that you can't find them at all. The answers are there, always available, as what is real within the power reservoir of being, capital B, being. We believe thoughts have power because we see the power that they have in this local world, in this physical world, every day. Through thinking, we establish models by which we understand our environment and successfully interact with it. We have come to believe that the apparently objective, quote, outside, close quotes, the, the outside world is what is most real, and through thinking we're able to learn about that world and affect change in it. So we believe that thinking holds the power. But in general, we have lost sight of the larger real context. And in focusing so deeply on the physical, we have become so single-sighted that we believe all truth must fit within our physical understandings. That is an erroneous assumption because the, quote, outside, close quotes, world, that, that physical world is simply not what is most real. You are real. Your awareness and being, which is a part of all awareness and all being, that is what is most real. And that being contains far, far more than this local character and this physical world. Your being is here now, and your being is the wonderful presence of life itself, 
that same life which has become, quote, wrapped up, close quotes, within the identity of this local character. And within that character's many, many thoughts, you're all wrapped up in that. However, you remain more than that. The truth is more than that. So if you truly wish to know, you must be willing to find the answers outside of thoughts. You must be willing to ask to be shown. You must be willing to see the silliness of being able to process nine bits of data when 10,000 brain cells are firing and maybe 20 trillion bits of data are hitting your senses and then reaching a conclusion and saying, oh, this must be right. The way that Christian Sundberg um, talks about this and his recovering of his pre-life memory was that he got to be about 30 years old and was moved by some spiritual writing and contacted the person and, and the spiritual teacher said, don't ask people outside of you about your spirituality or for answers. He said, just go into deep meditation and ask to be shown the truth of yourself. And so Christian did that, and that's how he recovered the memory that he was born with a pre-life memory, and he had those pre-life memories until he was four or five years old. Now he's in his 40s, and he's moving forward with his life informed by what he's discovered through this deep process of meditation and being and asking to be shown. And this book that I'm reading from is, you know, in his estimation, what has been channeled through him, through other levels of consciousness. So, I present it here because it is yet again very similar to what Dr. Michael Rice says when he says, Trying to figure it out is a trap. The reality management worksheet itself is a tool in which every time I do one, I cancel everything my conscious logical mind is telling me, and I ask to be shown something else from something outside of me. So, 563-999-3581, call that number, press 1, and we can have a conversation. How is this landing with you? How does it sit with you to think in terms of exploring your true nature without thinking so much? If you're like most of us from the Western world, that sounds like just gobbledygook. How can you, since... Your conscious logical thoughts seem to be your only way of interacting with yourself and others and the world around you. 
how could I make significant progress without asking? I'm sorry, I, I meant to say without thinking it through and by just asking and, and waiting to receive whatever happens. It is not something that my conscious logical mind can easily wrap itself around, I'll put it that way. Susan? Hi, Tim. Boy, before we get into this, did you get your MIRI back, and how is it? The um, appointment for that is going to happen during tomorrow's show, so it will have to be either no show or a repeat tomorrow. I don't know what the results are, but I did have the uh, the MRI on Friday morning. So, okay. so, so news to, to follow. Say that again? News will follow as I receive news. Oh, I will let you know. Okay, good. You know, this Sunburn book is absolutely fantastic. It's just been blowing my mind. Of course, it seems ironic, but understandable that he would say one of the conditions on which I'll come back for another lifetime is I have to be intelligent. In other words, I'm assuming he means the conscious logical mind that'll find all sorts of pseudo solutions. <laughs> anyway, he had to have a wonderful mind to write that book. And well, or, or 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 be open to let it flow through him without his mind doing the work, which is what he's saying is happening. That it's not his intellectual mind that is writing this book. That this is being channeled through him from higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like like Abraham or yeah. you know, Seth speaks or a whole right. host of other books that have been you know you might want to say divinely inspired. Well, I think this one is. It's amazing to me, and it's amazing too that there have been so many iterations of like the Course in Miracles, the Course of Love. Um, I can't remember her name, but many, many people have come through. But the coming through has to change as we evolve, too. So it's like this little dance. This book comes through now because our brains can receive it now, whereas I wonder if even 10 years ago this book would have meant anything to anyone. Perhaps I'm really wrong, or maybe it's my own brain that's finally ready and lots of other people were ready too. It does seem amazing. It's just more current. It's a more current way of delivering probably some of the same information. <clears throat> Another thing that I wonder about is we're talking. he talks about the vastness of the universe, and then he adds that it's an illusion which I, my mind just explodes on that. If it's an illusion, why are we fussing about how big it is then? What does that mean? Why does it need to be big? Well, 
Well, but but that's there's your conscious logical mind again, trying to figure it out. And and the conscious logical mind is the part that would try to start measuring it. So you know, remember that at this level of you know pure spirit, all of this is happening beyond words. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter. Only your your egoic conscious logical mind wants an answer to that. No kidding. It's like, you know, years ago it came to me to say, only the ego wants to know God. Huh. Uh. Right? Because essentially what we're being told over and over again is you can't ever be separate from your creator. So you already know at a deeper level that that goes beyond the conscious logical mind. You already know your creator. You have access to that. So many of these teachings say just ask and it will be given. Learn Mm -hmm. just to quiet down and soften and ask and understand that the answer isn't going to be coming in a way that the conscious logical mind can understand because the conscious logical mind is a tiny, tiny, tiny fragment of yourself and your ability to comprehend things. And yet we have words being given to us. We're communicating because we perceive ourselves as separate. How do we communicate? We communicate with words and some words are going to flip a switch and get us out of word wordness altogether. And the words will lead to no words. To it lead to a kind of I think Celinda was calling it her aha moments and I'm just mind blown. I I keep having these in the are you still there? There was a problem early on in the radio show. I tried to text you. I tried to, I pushed one too, but it didn't register where you went silent for about a minute. Maybe it was just my phone. I was about to hang up and dial in, and then suddenly well, you were back. I'm here and now. Suddenly... Yeah, yeah, and I, and I did here. get that text, but I, I, wasn't, okay. I wasn't holding the phone at the time I was reading, so. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um. But you were saying back. something about about how the mind wants to have these aha experiences. Well, it gets them. We do have we do have our conscious logical mind working, plugging away, chugging away, and sometimes those words that are spoken get through the veil or what it, whatever it is, and there's a moment of getting it, getting something getting relief from something that's been bothering, for instance. Might be the same way tapping works. I don't know. Tapping isn't verbal. Um, That wake-up sheet I did with you ages ago about feeling as if if I play the piano well and I do it well, I'll I'll be able to crawl onto my mother's lap somehow. That'll work that way. And I've always had that configuration in my mind or equation in my mind. And in one of the essays... 004. He said something that I've heard many times and I've known, but somehow it flipped the switch. 
what he said was the real spirit is interested in real impact. This is partly why from the perspective of the big picture, capital B, capital P, the success of our physical lives is not determined by our physical accomplishments or possessions, but rather by how much we were able to love others. Well, there's nothing new in that, but... But it struck you differently. It did. It just went through and caused a tremendous shift, a relief. It was just a relief. So I'm thinking... We have this dance going on between the conscious logical mind that can hear the words that are like throwing rocks, pebbles at a window, and one of them is going to cause a hole to uh, the window to be broken. Most of them will just hit and bounce off, but one of them gets through. We need our conscious logical minds if we have on this plane with our perceived illusory separate bodies. I know I'm going into my brain again to try to understand all this. Anyway, I don't have really a question. I just... Well, the invitation is to watch that when the conscious logical mind is trying to explain all of this and just uh, watch, wow, look at how excited my mind wants to get at the thought of being able to comprehend this and then just Mm -hmm. watch that and understand that that's not my true self. That's that ego that wants to be better than someone or something else. I don't agree unless I didn't understand you. Could you say that again? (laughs) No, I'm right. You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, remember this phrase. Remember this phrase. Only the ego wants to know God. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so, if I'm going to get this buzz by thinking I have figured it out and I've got. The best words. Remember that uh, quote from, it wasn't a quote, it was a story from Pierre Prattervan where he wanted to go and show up the imam because he thought that the group he was associated with had the best perfect definition for God. Uh-huh, and, um, right. And and just how how silly it is to think I'm more spiritual than somebody else when the essence of our spirituality is this uh, just ability to be aware of what truly is. Well, we all are part of what truly is. So there is no, outside of the ego, there is no somebody being more spiritual than somebody else. And that whole desire to know God better or to be more spiritual or to have the answer is all ego. The essence is we're all connected, we're all the same, we're all here for the only purpose, and this is a you know, this is what this particular spiritual teaching would say. The only reason any of us are here is to find ways to be more loving in more and more challenging circumstances. Well, how loving is it to think I'm more spiritual than somebody else? <laughs> exactly. It's not very well, loving. True. It's not very loving. Right. 
or it's even not so loving to think you're start, more loving than somebody else. Right, and and so as soon as I start thinking that, I just can recognize, oh, that's the error in thought. That's the conscious, logical mind trying to run the show. And I can just be gentle with it and give it some Oreo cookies and milk over here at the kitty table and just, you know, release attachment to wanting it to be right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know quite how we got onto this. I got you there. Evidently, I inspired you to tell me all that, but what did I say that got you off on this? You, 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 you just keep trying to figure it out. That's the only right. thing I and, have to work with, Dr. Tim. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, what this, that's what the last series of readings I was doing is trying to tell you that it is far more useful to do meditation, to step into being, to um, release attachment to what the intellect can do, and just ask to be shown, and then expand, extend the potential for your experience. Your, this, this, this book that you say is so wonderful is there to try and invite you into something that's far more than just that intellectual prattling and labeling and knowing in that sense of having mm-hmm. the words to say it, etc. Right? And and to just bring myself to more and more and more to realize every time I judge anyone or anything, I'm it's just the brain trying to figure it out. It's just the ego. And there is no separation. And so when I'm trying to say this is better than that or I'm more loving and caring than somebody else, it, it's just that prattling of thought, which is, you know, beyond the um, how do I get home from here, what direction should I take to drive my car, beyond the practical navigating physically in the world, all of that thought just separates me from the direct experience mm-hmm. of my true nature. And that's why I, I'm i being invited to release my attachment to that. Mm-hmm. And actually I begin a practice. Go ahead. You love it when what? Uh, I I listen as well as read in this book. So I love it when he'll say something and then he'll say, for example, and suddenly I'm in the experience part of it again. He's good about that. Yeah. So, um, and so I do have an example in my immediate life. And if nobody's got a hand up, I'll tell about it because it's, it's hey, what like is it? having a, What's the example? Else on. I just looked. Somebody just, just did put a hand up. But tell me your example, please. Okay. We have our friend Michael living with us, and he has been practically invisible in the last week. And I've had a lot of, well, not a lot, but fear about trying to engage him in any discussions his wish to be invisible is so powerful. But 
finally yesterday, I found myself just ruminating and making stories in my head for lack of dialogue with him. I did wake up sheets. They weren't really useful because I ended up needing to know, wanting to know, wanting to connect with the person instead of just connecting with my own thoughts. And believe me, I could look at the thoughts and what they're doing. So I finally went into the basement and said, how are you doing? And he said, well, I haven't wanted to talk to you about this. I said, well, do you want to now? And he said, I guess I have to. He said, I think I'm sick. And I said, how so? And he said, well, he was telling me about a physical problem he has, which was very embarrassing to him. And he said he didn't have any money to see a doctor. He didn't want to go to the emergency room because he has to bring the dog and he has to sit there. And the last time he went to the emergency room, he waited four hours and was given Tylenol for pain. That was it. So he's lost faith. And so he's just sitting with this fear. He's afraid he has cancer, colon cancer. And there are some symptoms that are impressive. Um, but he, and he, his, he was physically just shaking and crying, and he's obviously just got so much anxiety. And his Social Security didn't come through. It's on a card through some bank, and a lot of people didn't get theirs. And he says, I literally have $10 to my name. I can't go anywhere, can't buy anything. And I don't want to ask you, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'd like to die, he says. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm sitting there feeling for him and thinking, boy, was my mind off. I was just so off. I'm so glad to be talking. And I said, this is important. We've got to still talk. Because I start daydreaming about imagining what's happening with you. And I haven't got a clue. He said, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't talk. He said, I'm trying to disappear. And then in the New York Times today, there's a huge section about homelessness. And the, the heading, I've got it right here. The heading is a quote from a homeless person. You want invisibility. You don't want to be noticed. And I've saved it out for him, and he doesn't read because his eyes are so bad. I'm going to sit and read it to him because these are little testimonials of people who should not be homeless. Nobody should be homeless. But these are people who are, you know, looked down upon, and yet they're working and this, that, and the other. All, All I'm saying, I guess, is that it's always good to check in with a person. Instead of just checking in, especially with my kind of mind that can spin stories out of thin air and make them a big deal and start having feelings that are uncomfortable. So Yeah, but your 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 mind, like you said, your kind of mind, your mind is just yeah. like every other Western mind. So yeah, yeah, it is always better to check it out with the other person and to understand I can't mm. know what another person is going through. I can pretend, but I can't know. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So hold on a minute. I'll turn on the microphone for area code five four one. I believe it's Linda. Yes. 
It's Celinda, another And Celinda, I want to say something rattler. to you. <laughs> Pardon? Can I, can I say something to Celinda, Dr. Kim? Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Celinda. I have to interrupt. You know, ever since I laughed when you said, yes, to do, I love the way you say that, but you don't say it anymore. I must have really... I don't know, but I apologize. Whatever inhibited that wonderful response of, is this to Linda? Yes, it is. I love the way you say that. You've got to do it. Okay. Well, Over and out. not to worry, dear, because I love it too, but I thought maybe I'd widen my repertoire a little bit. So... <laughs> Here it is. Yes, it is. It's Celinda, another intellectual prattler, just like somebody else I know. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, Dr. Tim, uh, as you and um, as you and Susan were talking, I ran across a couple of statements that you made to me. One was on my bottom line observation and another on the worksheet about my mother beating my legs and feeling empty and empty hollowness, Um, I redid that. So let me share that because I know we're coming down to the wire. Um, To release my attachment to being an intellectual traveler, oh, I'm sorry, that was... uh, Never mind, I did that wrong. That was being an intellectual prattler. Uh, What does my suffering child need to feel better for me as the adult to be um, so I, uh, so the adult can, okay, just let my stuff bubble up so I as the adult or parent can ask to be shown for something outside of my logical brain. So comforting the two-year-old with energy and not with words. The energy of love is what I added, not with words. And the other one was you you gave me a mind shifter. It's safe, easy, and healing for me to be fully conscious and experience myself as love and connect to my own internal guidance. I wanted to just share that with you because now I'm realizing that my ahas are simply little stepping stones as I grow in consciousness and in spirit, um, in my awareness of my spirit. And that I now do question. I ask And I ask because I realize that every time I assume I make an ass out of me and someone else. And so I just wanted to share that, my little uh, journey that I'm going on. And I'm so grateful, Dr. Tim, that you offer so much. Well, you're very welcome and deserving. I will mute you both so we can... Um, have you listen in if you wish to the second hour I'll remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false and I will turn the microphone on for Jeannie Rice Hi, thank you appreciate you and thanks for playing all the shows for us this week You're very welcome or last week right? <laughs> have a great show Thank you 
So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Monday and it's March the 6th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press one and that puts you in the queue to talk to us, your show. And while I'm waiting on Michael to dial in, um, I had gotten a text from Michael Teddy and he let me know that uh, Friday's show cut off at about 27 minutes. I couldn't figure out why it did that, but if you go to the notes for Friday, I've included a link to the YouTube channel, and I have put part three up on our YouTube, so you can actually watch and listen to the entire part three. So apologies, I don't know you know, what would have cut it off, if that was a blog talk thing or what. But anyway, that is out there if you want to go and listen to it. And probably on Wednesday, I'll be driving to Asheville to pick Michael up. He's flying back home. And so we'll probably play the last, the fourth part of Aramaicisms on Wednesday Live today and tomorrow. And uh, we appreciate you uh, holding the space for us. Um, Michael, Jay, and Krista, which is Michael's children, um, their mother, CJ, passed away. It was Saturday night about 9 o'clock. Um, but he's been there all week just holding space and, and being with them and, and being there to support the kids and, and CJ as she transitions. And so she is now at peace and out of pain. And, and so we just bless her on, on the rest of her journey. And the kids still have, you know, some adjustments. I know Michael will be home on Wednesday. So we'll, like I said, I'll play the fourth. Uh, Aramaicisms on Wednesday because I'll be driving so I go pick him up in Nashville and I see he just popped on so welcome Michael thank you dear heart and welcome everybody honored and delighted that you're here as we get to move to the next level of this inquiry about first century Aramaic forgiveness delighted that um, you join us to do this it's been an interesting ride here in Kansas City, arrived oh, a week ago, last Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, arrived Sunday, Sunday. yeah, and CJ was pretty much uh, non-communicative, maybe two or three words in the next day or two, and then she was totally non-communicative, and uh, so I got to spend a couple of nights in the hospital. Uh, just being with her and holding the space and being with the kids, which uh, it's been a challenge for them. They've really been troopers in being with her and taking care of her. Uh, she's lived with Michael J. for about the last seven years. It's been a pretty challenging seven years. and uh, And then was interesting you know they hospice had come in and said well she'll be you know gone probably within 24 hours and then that expanded and then that contracted and so it's sort of been um, uh, it was a back and forth sort of thing and uh, the uh, the day that she passed or actually it was the evening. The kids had left about an hour earlier. Her brother, I'd taken him to the airport at 5 in the morning 
that day and uh, he had a pre-range ticket and decided he wasn't going to change it. He got to say his goodbyes and I came back and the kids were pretty tired and the baby was alone on the fussy side. So I was like, well, why don't you guys go home and I'll just stay here with her. And uh, about eight in the evening, the nurse came in, the hospice nurse, and they wanted to turn her. And so they gave her some meds and she had some very labored breathing. Up to that point, that had started about 24 hours earlier. A lot of clearing of her throat, but pretty much unconscious. And they turned over and just, she just got very quiet. You know, the, the labored breathing disappeared. She just was breathing away. And uh, the nurse and I got into a conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness. It became an engaged conversation for about 10 minutes. So we're talking about Yeshua in the first century and what, you know, what, the man they called Jesus' real name was, and what forgiveness meant. And uh, about 10 or maybe 12 minutes in that conversation, she turned back to CJ to just say, I'm going to finish checking her vitals. And uh, and she had left in the middle of that conversation, which I thought was pretty interesting timing, considering they had expected her to leave earlier. That uh, it was during a conversation about... Uh, the Aramaic forgiveness process in Yeshua. So it was an interesting, interesting time. Got a chance to have some conversations, one-sided conversations about our relationship and the challenges we had faced and, and felt like that was pretty clean and cleaned up. And so it's a powerful process. And so I'm still with the kids. We're actually just going through cleaning out a bunch of her things and uh, papers and, you know, I can't fathom what the medical bills have been, hundreds, I would think, thousands of dollars in the last several years doing dialysis and she had fallen and broken her knee and broken her ankle. I mean, it just was a tough couple of years. So appreciate everybody holding the space, extending love in our direction. And it certainly has been a blessing to understand that uh, by holding to that presence of love, a lot of things get processed, a lot of things move. So that's kind of what the uh, what the whole experience has been about. And so if everyone would, just hold a space for CJ, Carol, Carol Jones. And uh, she moves on her journey to the next level. She left just so peacefully. It was really awesome to be part of it. I always felt very privileged that she allowed me to be there for that process. The afternoon before she passed, the kids were still there. and I'd been there all night, and it wasn't a very restful night. Or, or pardon me, I'd been up at 5 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning to get pick up her brother and take him to the airport. So it's been a long day, and so I had taken a nap. And during my nap, I became aware that I'd spontaneously gone into still-point breathing. And uh, so I did quite a bit of breathing. It was nothing cognizant for me, but physiologically, it was like my body was demanding that I breathe. And so that was uh, an interesting piece in the process, and thank God for the tools. So... So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anything uh, going on with questions from the app or questions from the website to start out with? 
No. Um, I went out and checked earlier this morning, and there are no questions, and nobody has a hand up. Just all quiet over here. Aria mm. had asked me when I picked her up. She said, is Papa in the car? And I said, no. I said, he's still in Kansas City. <laughs> and she's like, all right. She said, he's been gone a long time. <laughs> so, I love the, uh, the post. I love, hey, Aria. Hey. Hello, are you? Hey, sweetheart. How are you, sweetheart? I'm doing pretty well in Kansas City. I'm looking forward to getting home and hugging your neck and Nini's neck. That'd be nice. How about I pray for you? That would be you? really. What did you say for me? No, she said, how about if she prays for you? Oh, please, please, yes, that would be really helpful. We're processing a lot of energy here for just, so just being loved would be a big gift to send to your Uncle Michael and your Aunt Jamie and Kaylee Joe and me. That would be awesome. Thank you. And I will send love to you, too. (laughs) All right. Appreciate you, sweetheart. I love to the post. Did did Nini show you the post that she put on Facebook where there's a picture of you and you were listening to the radio show and it was a recording? And I was saying, thank you, dear heart. And he said, oh, Papa's talking to me. And Nini told you it was no. recording. He said, well, that's okay. I'm going to hold him in my heart anyway. Well, you have to get Nini to show you that picture. It was sweet. I will. Yeah. So if you're out there in Switzerland, I actually, you know, things have been pretty uh, hectic, pretty busy here. And so I haven't really prepared anything for today. Uh, but we can, of course, launch into any one of a thousand different topics. It was interesting to uh, the, one of the hospice nurses, the, the first evening that she came in that I met her. She'd been in a couple of times during the day, but we had a little bit of time to talk in the evening. And uh, she was asking what I did. And, I, and there were two different hospice nurses where we talked about forgiveness. And we had quite a lengthy, she completed with uh, with CJ, and we had quite a lengthy conversation about forgiveness and what it meant and how it was about dealing with energies within. And uh, she came back in the evening she said, I just want to say thank you for that conversation. She said, I, I know that, you know, people are put in our lives for a reason. And she said, it was really clear to me today that that conversation we had, I needed. She said, I was going to work with a family who's got a loved one passing. And uh, they were just in a raging fight when I got there. And she said, I was able to take the conversation we had about forgiveness and when I left, everybody was at peace and, uh, and in a friendly space. So, so that was pretty cool. So I sent her our course on healing and planned to volunteer. It would be awesome to work with uh, hospice volunteers, uh, you know, the energy they have to face and process and deal with and stress and all of that. It would be awesome to do some work with them. So I'm going to conversation with her and maybe we'll – We'll do some work with hospice volunteers and hospice nurses and such. So that was that was pretty powerful. So if you're out there in listener land, our call-in number, if you're on a station where we can't see you, 
is 563-999-3581. If you have a thought or a question for us, I would love to hear it. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And if you have a question, all you do is push 1, and that will raise your hand in the phone queue. Jeannie will introduce you by your area code, and we'll have a conversation. So we'd love to have a conversation with you. Thoughts, questions, answers, ideas, what's on your mind? How can we support you? 563-999-3581. So we've got 45 minutes. And if you raise your hand, we can talk about whatever you're ready to talk about. So Not everybody at once. <laughs> Not everybody at once, so yeah, yeah, we that would be overload. Well, one of the uh, one of the things that's getting really clear for me being here is a new level of recognizing how everybody's got a reality and that our realities could not be more different. And the importance of recognizing that reality is an individual interpretation by the mind based on information resonated in the mind from the past by the events that are happening. And the faster we can recognize that, the faster we can shift out of disturbance and upset if we realize that all of that's coming from inside of us, that it isn't an external event that we're looking at, that we're experiencing when we're looking at something in our minds. We're looking at a product of what's moving in our minds, what's moving inside of us. And when we can take responsibility for that, then the game changes. And so many people you know, have bought into the belief that some sort of anger or manipulation will get you what you want when anger and manipulation is nothing but repeating a power person dynamic from the past. It'll never get you what you want. I mean, you might be able to force somebody into doing a behavior that you think is what it's all about, but in the last analysis, it will never fulfill the underlying goals. And... You know, our culture's accepted two really huge lies. One is if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, something you do, and then you've either got to fear or hate them. You know, we see that so much in the political realm. You know, we hear, you know, all this stuff going on about trans and gays and, you know, all this stuff that's going on that there's such hatred And there's no recognition from the person who's hating that the hate is just a condition in their own minds. And the, you know, often proclaiming, supposedly in the name of religion, that it's their job to fight against what somebody else thinks or believes or the way they behave or what they do or their sexuality or whatever. And the craziness of believing that is just amazing. 
you know, you don't have to agree with someone's lifestyle. Stand as a space of active, present love with them. And to be that space of love, this is kind of another lie that we bought into, to be that space of love doesn't mean you have to agree with, with anything that they say or do. But we can each function, we can each claim that state of being. So those beliefs are just total nonsense. And there's a gentleman, I believe he was a minister, or is a minister, his name is Rick Warren, and he says you don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. So you can be totally convinced that something is, oh, so, you know, whatever, good, bad, evil, wrong, right? And you can live as a human being and be compassion in spaces where you don't agree with people. You know, people's financial decisions, people's, you know, the way they live in their homes, the way their homes are. We don't have to lose compassion or lose the experience of our human lives to hold the space for people to have choice and be who they are and stay out of interference with what other people's choices are. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, then let's go for it. All right, it's it's Susan Erica six one zero. You are in Hi, welcome back. Hey, welcome, young lady. But I mean, back from your task. Yeah, thanks. Yep. Yeah, I'm You've kind of back. a lot. <laughs> You're kind of back, right? It's been it's, it's been an, back, an intense time, to say the least. Right, it sure is. And it's wonderful that you're going to work with hospice nurses. Um, Tim and I used to volunteer at the Connecticut Hospice. The Brantford, it was the, the flagship uh, years ago, the first hospice in the country that came over from England. Right. And we worked there, and the intensity of that work is oh, amazing. Huge. Those nurses are in a position to be open to hearing what you have to say. I can't imagine they wouldn't be. Either that or they've gotten tough or something. But it's wonderful that you're going to do that. You should find a well, very... Well, at this point... Audience. Yeah, at this point, I, I'm based the interaction I've had with these two ladies and the shift that it made for one of them. I'm going to... It's not that that's any kind of a fait accompli. Uh, it's just a, a, a thought at this point for me to approach her and say, you know, to volunteer to work with her acquaintances and or whoever mm-hmm. in that field is, is interested and willing in being supportive yeah. of the forgiveness work. So so hold the space for that. And or if there's anybody listening that knows anybody that's involved in hospice, that, you know, I mean, it may be a group of one or two or, or three, you know, local nurses, or it may be the whole organization. I don't know. But I'm certainly open to uh, providing support and the tools for the huge quantities of energy that these folks have to process. It's just unbelievable. It is amazing. Well, this facility was a whole building, and then they, during the AIDS crisis, they built a whole separate building because they were terrified that AIDS would be passed 
around. So they had the AIDS right. building, and Tim and I worked over there too. And we it was like the beginnings of COVID. We probably took too many precautions uh, because we right. didn't know how communicable this was. But I right. think they had programs for their nurses. Um, but this was a facility that had its own headquarters. It's different when you're doing in-home hospice care, but you're right. If There's probably a, a website or a head organization, and they would know where you could go. And with Zoom, my goodness, you could do it from anywhere. Wow. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm looking for, yes. Yeah. Well, I have a sort of what you've been talking about hitches right into our situation here with Michael. Um, and I was talking to Dr. Tim about it. Michael has been, what you said the other day helped a lot. You said he's trying his hardest to be invisible. And there's an article in the New York Times today about interviews have been, hundreds of interviews evidently have been made by reporters with homeless people. And the heading right. is, um, what do you know about homelessness? And the quote is, quote, you want invisibility, says a homeless person. You mm. don't want to be noticed, end quote. So yeah. I, I, There's so Michael much danger to that more, community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael has been more and more invisible to the point where a couple of days ago, Tim and I came home probably a little early from a walk. And Michael was right. microwaving something in our kitchen, and he has the softest tread. Tim knew he was in the kitchen. I did not know. And then he wasn't right. in the kitchen. He's so quiet. And so that's been a little creepy for me. I've had to do some worksheets on, you know, what does this mean when we have this person who's both here and not here? And, you know, my mind is not my friend often, and that's why we have worksheets, thank goodness. But the worksheets I was doing didn't yield enough of the right results. It was mostly like allow him to be and do what he's doing, breathe, go about my business. This isn't really – I have a lot of ideas. You had me do a, a list of all the power person's uh, injunctions on right. what we expect from somebody who is living with us or are they imposing that was very fruitful, too, but it's like, it's going to be ugly the way I'll say this. It's like a pimple. I'll pop it, and then it fills right up again, mm. if you know what I mean. Just so 77 much, times 70 worksheets. So much stuff. And the fact that he's right here, I'm thinking, God, this is really amazing. This person is right here. So at one point, I said, you know, I can't live with my thoughts, and... I, the wake-up sheets are just a drop in the bucket. I'm not getting the results I need. And so I actually in, intruded on him. I turned on the basement light, and I got halfway down the stairs. I said, Michael, can I come down? And he said, sure. And he's always very friendly, but it's his space, you know. And so I came down, and I said, what is going on with you? You seem different. And he started to cry. He started to shake. He said, I think I'm mm. dying. And I said, what? Wow. And he said, it's too embarrassing for me to talk about. And I said, Michael, women know about stuff. They secrete stuff from all, all orifices often. 
and I've been a hospice, you know, volunteer nurse. You can talk to me about anything. I won't be shocked and I won't be grossed out. And he said, well, and he told me about something happening in his private parts, which is very painful and embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he's dying of colon cancer. And I said, have you been losing weight? I mean, are you eating? Are you sleeping? And he said, no, I'm not losing weight. And I said, you're probably not dying of colon cancer, but you probably ought to see a doctor. And then came the list of reasons why he can't go to the ER. He has the dog. They only gave him Tylenol the last time. He had to wait four hours. He doesn't want to be a doctor. So, you know, I'm getting this stone wall. And so I said, okay, okay. And I do what Tim Hayes says. Tim Hayes has a great the way he says, okay, <laughs> like, okay, whatever, you know, okay. It's not my stuff right. to fuss with. I could tell just even talking about him helped, about it helped him kind of loosen up. Plus, he did right. get a social security infusion. His phone has been cut off because he doesn't have money for a phone card for this month. He's no longer working at the refugee center for which we were paying him. And he's sitting down there. He says he has less than a quarter of a tank of gas and he can't get groceries. Well, of course, we're not going to let him starve. But he didn't want to ask us for stuff. And he's down there and I'm reading about homelessness, which is a great help. Uh, You know, you like to watch films that challenge you and make you do worksheets. I don't like to do those, but I've been watching documentaries about hom- homelessness, and they they are worksheet material. It's very, very disturbing to to watch those. So I'm learning a lot from that it, end. It's and disturbing I'm, or it brings up disturbance in you? Right. Okay. Touche, Michael. You did it again. Yep. <laughs> It brings up an extreme amount of disturbance, yes. So, anyway, awesome. what I would... <laughs> I know, you always like that. I'm um, excited for you. <laughs> well, it is certainly a huge, in-your-face learning opportunity. Um, there's just no way of getting away from it. So... And we have, Tim and I have no clue on the long picture. Michael's talking about wanting to take his own life, but he has this dog. He says, and if I should die before the dog, I'm terrified for the dog. I said, the dog will be fine. We'll make sure the dog is fine. He's a cute, tiny, little, adorable, blind dog, 12 years old. And he said, and he says, on the other hand, I'm tired. I don't want to live. I just don't want to live. Um, so he's, he's in a very, very, very bad way. Yeah. Uh, and there we are. We're just sitting with this and, you know, doing forgiveness work. I'm not good enough at it yet to have it, but it was a tremendous relief to talk to him. I just said, we have to never get silent like that. It, because my thoughts go haywire and I think the worst. And he said, yeah, it's good to talk. I'm glad we're talking and thanks for talking. And I really appreciate you guys. And he, you know, so today it seems a little lighter. He came upstairs. We gave him some grocery money. He's waiting for his his 
Social Security to come through. But there's something wrong with the system. There's a lot of people are writing into Twitter. He says Twitter people are are telling about how they're waiting for their checks and they they're really up a creek because they're living off these checks. So right. I don't know where I'm going with this now, Michael, except to say. I feel as if we've been put in or found ourselves in a situation that we don't know, and that's an that is a an issue is we have lost control completely of what's going to happen, and we're learning to live with it, um, but it hasn't been that easy. Right. Well, one of the things that comes up is you know if he's talking about suicide, is to um, and perhaps see if you can connect them in with some resources for suicide prevention for support. Which, mm-hmm. you know, he very possibly, and this is one of the challenges with dealing with suicide, it very possibly uh, could be seen as a, uh, a betrayal. So that's the challenge with that, but it sounds like some professional support, which you know doesn't have to involve money. There's lots of services out there, but you might connect them in with, uh, with someone in the community that uh, yeah. can be of support. Uh, I, his dog is pretty much a guarantee that he won't do anything, at least as long as the dog is alive. He said, I live for that dog, literally does. Um, So I felt as if it's a direct emergency because the dog is healthy and okay. He is 12, though. But little dogs, I don't know, they last a long time sometimes. Well, the other side of that. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. He just says, I feel as if I'm living in a dream. Well, you know, yeah. as I get older and certain certain of the things I cared so much about earlier have fallen away, I sometimes feel that way too. I said, I know what you mean. I think we're getting ready to not be on this plane. I know, Michael, you have ways of keeping alive for a long time. Um, but my thinking has changed as I get older. I'm less attached to things right. I was very attached to before. I think that's a good thing, too. But yes. anyway, what were you going to say? Well, just that um, as you assure him that his dog's taken care of, uh, you might yeah. want to look at that might be a double-edged sword because if he goes, oh, I so the dog's taken care of, then I can go. And yeah. again, that would be a good reason to tap him into some uh, suicide prevention support. Yeah. He fought me on the continuing to take care of the dog thing. He said, oh, you don't understand him. He has a very particular schedule. And I, I really, I don't think anybody is up for taking care of him, which is sort of like backing off, you know. Yeah. Saying I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be with him until he isn't here. But anyway, it's it's true. I should probably talk to him about getting in touch with people. We have tried to get him a coach and a caseworker. He's not interested in working with anybody. 
I, I think it's just PTSD so high up the kazoo that he feels selfish yeah. when he's playing video games and doing nothing. Isolated. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know that the abuse that a lot of um, homeless people that I've worked with over the years is pretty horrendous. I mean, just, mm-hmm. you know, like almost incomprehensible. And so, you know, I think there comes a point where there's a connection between just being with people and being in trauma. And yeah. unresolved. So, so that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a tough one. And there are people whose profession it is to support people in that position. Mm. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. For, my other thought would be that maybe talk to some professionals in the area who are about um, suicide support and get their advice as to how to approach him with that, that you'd like to offer that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe getting special input from someone who that's their field, you know, is certainly not my field. So, but uh, yeah. there are people who, who might be able to say, well, here, here's a way that, you know, maybe I could just drop over as a friend and say hello and we get in a conversation, you know, so it's not feeling like he's been betrayed again. Yeah. That sort of thing, perhaps. Well, thanks. Uh, that's pretty much the report. Anyway, we're, I'll keep you posted. Well, we'll be holding the space. Thanks. And you're traveling tomorrow, or Jeannie's going to get you tomorrow? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. I'll fly out of here Wednesday. on Wednesday. And unless something changes, my plan is yeah. to... Uh, to head back home on Wednesday. So. Oh, okay. And so you'll be doing the air show tomorrow? As as now that, I mean, it's subject to, to change. I, I've committed to the kids to be support for whatever they need. And so if something mm-hmm. comes up that interferes with that, then, of course, that will yeah. change. But as far as I know right now, all place spaces are clear for tomorrow. And okay. then flying time, so Wednesday will be a pre-recorded show, and then back on Thursday. Good. That's my plan. I'm sticking to it. Good. All right. Well, anything else on your mind for today, young lady? No. Um, Tim is having us read sections of this book by... Christian Sundborg called A Walk in the Physical, and it does blow my mind that Tim has a way of uncovering newer and newer and more and more current um, presentations of what you teach. Uh, there's, there's The Course in Miracles, and The Course of Love, there's Michael Rice, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And this was written, this book was put out in 2021. And it's as if the way of presenting the materials keeps morphing to meet the present mindsets of people who may be receptive. 
oh, and I'm hoping that for Marianne Williams, you know, when she ran before, we weren't ready, and I'm thinking we're ready. I'm hoping we're ready. Well, you know, I, I feel very hopeful that, if nothing else, she's going to inject uh, the presence yeah. of love into some conversations where most people are stuck in, you know, and they don't even know it when they, you know, judge somebody else as uh, having certain attitudes. They don't even realize that's their own unconscious attitudes that they're playing out of. And so yeah. I think that uh, Marianne having the ability to put out uh, the ideas, more ideas based in love into the, you know, the po- the body politic will be a mm-hmm. powerful gift for the world. And it is universal. It's nonpartisan. Partisan. It is Absolutely. anybody from any side listens to what she says. How could they argue with it? So yep. I'm just hoping I'm with you. that a kind of I'm hoping a kind of openness will be there. Well, if nothing and else, it's, it's going to build the brain cells for people. Yeah. That's if nothing else, looking be. That's how, to me, that's what happened in 2020. I mean, there was one debate that she did, and I forget what the numbers are now, but, you know, as I said in that post, you know, like in 32 states, she was the most searched for name on Google for several days. And so people are at least listening, and uh, she's injecting Mm -hmm. in a conversation where things like the active presence of love and caring and support are not spoken about very much. Yeah. Pretty bizarre, but... Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So we're ready for change. Yes. Yay. Well, we appreciate you. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate, appreciate you very much. you come up with. And... All right, young lady. <laughs> Take care. Blessings. Thanks. You too. Right. Well, Miss Jeannie. Hey. Um, nobody has a hand up. So we have 20 minutes. We still have plenty of time. I just got a really sweet. I had sent um, a similar text to um, Michael J. and Jamie that I had sent to Krista. And I just got a sweet right. uh, response, Michael J. And... Um, he says, my mom was the kindest person that I know. And what do you think, sweetie? You're one of the very few people that I would count being close. Um, things will never be quite the same without her. And we're both very lucky and thankful to have you as a second mom. I agree. They are. So am I. One of my thoughts is that um, we read, and it's just taking me a second. I'm going to go to the post. Here's what uh, my daughter Krista wrote as a tribute to her mom. And if there's anybody that knows CJ, we've got a private Facebook page. And... Uh, if, if you know CJ, you know, send us a note, and we'll gladly give, send you an invitation to to her Facebook page. 
But uh, here's Krista's tribute to her mom. Warm and soft, soothing smile, hugs, always comforting, magical kisses for the scrape on my knee. Normal, healthy, perfect. That was always a phrase with our kids when they were small. Whenever they would hurt themselves, normal, healthy, perfect. She goes on and writes, the solution to any ailment, you always smelled of twilight with a warm summer breeze, never contrary. Always enduring my icy cold feet when I would sneak in under your covers. Seeking solace from the gremlins living under my bed. You taught me to love words and art, to be self-sufficient, never dependent. Always pursue the biggest of dreams. Always find happiness, moments of beauty, a glimpse of light in the darkness, a 25-cent trinket on the way out of the store, hot tea and rice cakes, summertime lullabies, summertime and the living is easy. Easy escaped you. You persevered, your heart never bitter, your soul never tarnished, warm and soft, soothing smile, wheel of fortune and foot rubs, foot rubs, pardon me, summertime and the cotton is high, your daddy's rich and your mama good looking, but time can be relentless, usurping your health, saying goodbye to a shell that once had your name. So hush, little baby, don't you cry. Tears have been shed, hearts broken. You will always be with us. A voice in our hearts, a glimpse of light in the darkness. Kindness and beauty in a world so cold. Memories of bedtime stories. Soft, soothing smiles, magical kisses. So hush, little baby, don't you cry. Your soul is now in its truest form encompassed by wings, an angel watching over us. Sweet. So that's Krista Joy's tribute to her mom. And breathing with everyone. And we still have Oh, about 15 minutes for conversation, so it would be awesome if somebody would put their hand up and have a conversation with us. If you're listening on one of those stations where we can't see you, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show live. And then if you push 1... You and I and Jeannie will be having a conversation. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? And if we have no questions at this point, then I think I'm going to go back and be with the kids and processing. And I'm hoping that they're going to open the space for me to breathe them. We haven't gotten to that point yet. But appreciation to everyone who listens and join us tomorrow. Blessings. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache as we present the First Century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.